James chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11 says this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the chance to gather together at the beginning of a week to worship you. Lord, thanks for your protection of us this past week. Thanks for the hope that we have in the gospel. Lord, I pray that you just open our hearts and our minds and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just teach us that we would be drawing closer to you as individuals and a church. And I may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are going through a series this fall that we're calling Faith and Focus. And Colossians chapter 2 says this in verses 6 and 8. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And see to it, verse 8, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world. And the whole goal of this fall's series is just to help us look at some key passages of Scripture. Uh, I usually go through a book of the Bible, but we're going to look at different passages of Scripture that all help us with our faith and our focus so that we can grow and go deeper as individuals and a church. So the first week we looked at Hebrews chapter 5 and we talked about how to eat right, which really was about connecting with the Word of God and then consuming it in all the ways that we can do it. And the Bible is for us to be read and understood and we can learn from it. And it says in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. If you have a hard time reading the Bible, just pray that before you read every time. Just say, God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your wall. He wants us to connect with us. He wants us to consume it. Then last week we looked at Titus 2 where he talked about training in grace. And we just said grace is what calls us. Grace is ultimately Jesus Christ is grace. And grace calls us. Grace cleans us. But there is our responsibility through the gift of grace that we are to grow in grace, and one day, grace will make us a showcase for all of eternity. And this morning, we're going to look at James chapter 5, and I'm just going to talk about how we need to plan for the long haul. I was watching TV a couple weeks ago, flipping channels, and I came across an old movie called The Long, Long Trailer with Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball. Anybody seen that movie? It's a, it's a old movie. So I looked it up after I watched it. It's pretty good. Uh, I watched it again, and we, we saw it. And, and when it was done in 1953, it became the highest grossing comedy for MGM. 
And the whole episode was this new couple, newlywed couple, they're getting married. He's got a job across country. And so the way they can stay together, since he's a salesman, is they would just buy this massive trailer, hook it up to their car, and they would just drive around the country and just enjoy life, enjoy being together. But the whole way through, there's all kinds of total disasters all the way through. They aren't prepared for this long-haul trip that they're going to take. At one point, she decides to go cook while he's driving, and she ends up on this bumpy road, and she's trying to cook. Everything's flying all over the place. It's Lucille Ball making a complete... It's, she made the movie. It's a complete disaster. And eventually, not too long ago, I think in 2006, another movie with Robin Williams was called RV. Pretty much the same premise of the whole movie. These long trips, these long hauls, people are not really prepared for. In the movies, when you go in that type of situation... It always ends well. After this disastrous trip, they kissed and made up, and that's how the movie ended. In RV, the family's all happy at the end of the movie. But in reality, if you're not prepared for the long haul, you're stranded on the side of the road, or you're dead in a ditch. We had to prepare for the long haul. There was a song, actually, a group made about this movie, The Long Hung Trailer, and the lyric, and the name of the song was, Everything Right is Wrong Again. The lyric goes, just like in the long, long trailer, all the dishes got broken, the car kept driving, and nobody would stop to save her. Everything right is wrong again. That's how many people feel. Many people feel that in life, and maybe that's how you feel. Where everything right is wrong again. It's just this long haul of life, and it just doesn't seem like things are working out for us. There's this, for years, they would say, uh, previously, it was, we lived in the age of anxiety. Just people lived in total anxiety post-war. It was this age of anxiety, and this thing, the world's going to be destroyed by atomic bombs and nuclear weapons. Well, then recently, now they would say, we live in the age of cynicism. People are, younger people are just absolutely cynical about everything. They don't believe there is any hope. There isn't really anything to turn around for. Why work so hard? It isn't going to turn out. There's this absolute cynicism with young adults in our culture, which is why I greatly appreciated Mike Julian's testimony a couple weeks ago when we started this series, when he said he was going through life and things were pretty good. And then he became a Christian And he turned his life over to Jesus Christ. And after he became a Christian, he said, then everything started to go wrong. When everything right should have been seeming like it was going to be going right because he's a Christian, then everything started to turn around. Everything right was seemed like wrong again. And how do we deal with that as Christians in the life of a Christian when that is your reality? How do you respond when that's your reality? How do you rejoice when that's your situation? How do you have hope? And how do you not, like James said in James 1.8, not become double-minded, which is to try to have God and to have the world. And James 1.8 says, a double-minded man, somebody who wants to have God and the world, is unstable in all his ways. He's in a long, long trailer on a bumpy road trying to accomplish something, and it's only going to turn out to be a complete disaster. 
And James warns for people who try to do that. In verse 7, for that person who's double-minded, tries to have God and the world. James 1, 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. God says the way a Christian is to respond to when everything right is wrong again is by perseverance, is to persevere in a Christian way. And this morning we're just going to look at those three in three ways. We're going to look at the pain of Christian perseverance, the process of Christian perseverance, and the pleasantness of Christian perseverance. The pain of Christian perseverance, the process of Christian perseverance, and the pleasantness the pain of Christian perseverance. The whole book of James was written to a Jewish Christian. It's one of the earliest New Testament books. James was Jesus' brother. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and they were under great persecution. The whole book of James is saying right from the beginning, count it all joy, my brothers or sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. He says to the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. These were Christians who were scattered they were getting under intense persecution and the whole book of James very practical but it's all about how do you handle and how do you persevere in your faith all the way through when you're being oppressed and you're being handled all kinds of difficulties these people were under intense pressure intense opposition from fellow Jews fellow Israelites who were not followers of Jesus Christ and they endured this great pressure constantly of persecution. And James writes to the people who are persecuting them. And James 5, 1 through 6, it is all written, he says, to come now you rich, you weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Those are not Christians that he's writing to. He's writing to the oppressors, these rich Jewish people who were oppressing the poor Christians. And they were poor because they weren't able to have the status. They were looked down upon. So they're getting oppressed by these non-followers of Jesus Christ who had money, who had wealth, and were doing it to them, and they were oppressing them. And James says, listen, it's, you better watch out, he tells them. Your riches will not last forever. The judge will judge you. And he speaks to the oppressors, and then he says in verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters. They were going through unbelievable amounts of pain. Unbelievable amounts of persecution. And he says, be patient. Because some of them were wanting to retaliate. Some of them had had it up to here. They didn't want to take it anymore. They weren't wanting to attack. That's why he said, you got to watch your mouth. Watch your tongue. Because you can't do that as a Christian. You can't do that. So the whole book of James is very practical. These people were under intense pressure, and some of them wanted to retaliate, some of them wanted to be, uh, go after them and violently stop the oppression, and James says, no. That's not how Christians deal with it. Be patient, therefore, brothers. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death which is what some of these Christians were dealing with. They, they were persecuted. It didn't seem right. It was unjust. And naturally thinking, that we, we, there's, a, there's a way to deal with this, that I can stop this and do something about it physically. Which is what we think sometimes. That the, the way that we naturally think seems right to us, but often it is 
wrong and the problem is our own judgment. We see a situation, our, our own feelings aren't quite right, and it doesn't take us much to get knocked off, right, in wrong thinking. Well, we think our way is right, but it, it doesn't take much. I mean, the dog could have barked a certain way and thrown us off. The, the car could have squeaked a certain way on the way to work, and you're all thrown off. I mean, you wouldn't have had the, maybe the right coffee creamer, and it completely mess up your day. I've experienced all three of those things pretty recently. It doesn't take much to throw us off on our judgments and those little things, and then we think, well, my way's right, and our way could be absolutely wrong. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it's the end of it is the way of death. Someone said that sin is the cosmic ingratitude. It gives the delusion that you have the ability to conduct and hold your life together. And we don't. Our judgment isn't always right. Our response isn't always accurate. Our view is often wrong. And how do you deal with these difficulties when everything right seems wrong? We are called, James says, to persevere. It's a call to faith, and it's a call to the right kind of focus. And it's a call to the community of faith. James was not written, nor was the Bible written to just you and yourself alone. It was written to a community of people. The book of James was written to a group of people. That's why we need the community of faith to help us grow in our faith and our focus. Because we don't get it right all the time. Even just you and your Bible don't get it all right all the time. It's written to a collective group, the community, which is why the church is absolutely essential and important in our lives. And when you are going through difficulties that seem unfair and unjust, and God's supposed to be sovereignly in control, we, our response often is to say, well, God, aren't you aware of this injustice? And the question is asked, and why doesn't he do something about this? Is if this is God who's sovereignly in control, if he owns and rules over everything and he's sovereign, why doesn't he fix these injustices? Why do these people who are doing the right thing get oppressed? And the answer to that is, he did, he is, and he will. So our call is to persevere and to be patient. So why 2 Peter 3.8 says, Don't overlook the fact that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. You say, well, I've been suffering for two years now. It's nothing in God's view. Don't miss the fact we are called to persevere. We're called to be patient. There is pain. And there's real pain in Christian perseverance. God's not unaware of it. He understands that Christians suffer. He understands the suffering that people go to. He understands that it's real and he knows all about it. There is pain. He acknowledges that there's real pain in suffering. But there's a process that we as Christians are to go through. The process of Christian perseverance is what he gives to us. And he says, be patient. Then he says it again, be patient for the coming of the Lord. This idea of being patient is not just like being impatient. It's not just like trying to rush out. It's being, it's looking at life and seeing that for the Christian, Christian perseverance 
is looking at life, seeing that there is a process that is taking place. That this world is heading someplace. There is a history, and there's a specific point that it's going to end on, and that's the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. The Lord's coming back. That idea is mentioned 300 times in the New Testament. All of history is moving to the point when Jesus is coming back. No matter how chaotic it seems like now, no matter how crazy everything seems to be, it's all up in the air, what's going to happen with the world? What's going to happen with the world is it's going to move and Jesus is going to come back. That's the point of all of history moving. That's what we're looking forward to. And Jesus says, James says, be patient, brothers, for the coming of the Lord. Don't get your mind out of whack. He hasn't left us. He's preparing us and he is coming back for us. And for these people, he says it's imminent. And the way the judge came back for these Christians in Jerusalem may have been a few years later when Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans. When Rome came in, took out Jerusalem, and took away their oppressors. But for us, we're also looking for the day when Jesus is coming back. And we have to fight against a secular worldview that lives exclusively by appearances that says that this world is permanent. And we are, if we're not careful, even our own desires say, hey, this is permanent. So we've got to be fighting against a view that says, hey, this, what we see right now is permanent. This is not permanent. What's permanent is that Jesus is coming back. And if all your desires are just for what is here and now and everything you think of is, I've got to have this because this will last, it won't last. That's a secular world view. So we have to have a patience perspective that Jesus is coming back and the finish line is ahead. And don't give up now and lose all that you have already been, have already suffered. There are thousands of people right now as I speak running the Chicago Marathon who've been going since 7.30 and a whole bunch of them are wanting to give up right now. And if I was standing on the side of the line, I'd say, don't give up now. You trained when it was 90 degrees in August. Don't quit now. And James is saying the same thing to us as Christians. Hey, keep the patience perspective. The finish line is ahead. Jesus is coming up back. Don't lose it all after all that you've already suffered. So James said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love them. The eternal perspective is that God is sovereign. Jesus is Lord. And God is active in the world. And that matters to your choices and my choices today. This process of Christian perseverance. Because we ought to constantly fight secular view that everything we see is permanent. And even our own desires are secular thinking. Things are permanent. And they're not which means that even as you walk through this election cycle, which is what it is, a cycle, and in four more years we'll hear the same thing again. If Jesus hasn't come back, we'll hear it again. And two more people will come up, say absurd things, and we'll all get worked up about it. It's a cycle that does not last. But as you walk through this election cycle, set Christian principles 
before you. Not your pocketbook or your passing privileges that you think you have or might want to have. As a Christian, God doesn't want us to be arrogant and always at ease. That's not Christian principle. We're called to persevere in faith. God's the judge. And God will deal with all those through history. All the leaders that don't lead correctly. God's the judge. He's coming back and he will deal with it all. Our call as Christians is patience and an eternal perspective. And he says there's this purpose of our hearts. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, brothers. He says, purpose your heart. Why? Why do we have to establish our hearts in these things? There's an old Puritan named John Flavel who wrote a book called Keeping the Heart. And one of the reasons why he wrote that we need to keep our hearts, have this eternal patient perspective, and we've got to set our hearts, establish our hearts, purpose our hearts to stay where God wants us to stay. He says one of the reasons why, he says, is the, the improvement of our graces depends on the keeping of our hearts. He says, I never knew grace to thrive in a careless soul. The purpose of why you'd have to keep purpose your heart is to grow in grace. Because if you don't, you're going to be a double-minded man tossed back and forth. And he says, listen, don't grumble. Be patient, brothers. Establish your heart so that you don't grumble against each other. Don't, that's what happens. You get persecuted, then you start taking it out on the people who are your family, your Christian brothers and sisters. And that was what was the problem in James. He says, don't do this. Don't grumble. Stay patient. Purpose in your heart so you don't lose the graces of your life. We all know what this is like. You have a bad day at work. You come home. You can't do nothing about work. So you yell at your wife. And your wife gets all ticked off because she yells at the kids. And then the kids get all ticked off and they kick the dog. And then the dog gets mad and he bites you and it's a vicious cycle and the cat's in the corner, he just doesn't care. And doing whatever he wants to do. And it just keeps going over and over and over and over again. But James says, purpose your hearts. Why, when do we need to purpose our hearts? In this book that John uh, Flavel wrote, he listed all these areas of all of these times of when we need to purpose in our hearts. And I was reading through it this week, and he said that these are all the times when we as Christians need to purpose our hearts. He says, in times of prosperity. And after every one, he would give lists of ways to preach the gospel to yourself and to help you do it in each section. He goes, when do you need a purpose in your heart to stay set your heart during prosperity, during adversity, during when the church is in persecution, during the danger of public distractions, when you have outward desires and wants, in your Christian service and duty, when you're being attacked. And one of the ways he gave for these different ones was when you're being attacked, he said, purpose your heart like this. Consider how you are daily and hourly wronging God, and you will not be so easily inflamed with revenge against those who have wronged you. That's thinking and purposing in your heart. Great trials and temptation and doubt or spiritual darkness and persecution and sickness and in health. Twelve ways. 
He can come up with when we need to purpose our, our hearts in life. Basically, all the time, as Christians, we have to constantly be purposing our hearts because everywhere we go, in any one of those situations, doubt, persecution, prosperity, poverty, there is something in us that wants to distract our hearts from God. And there's going to be something in there that will want to pull you away. And if you don't persevere and purpose in your heart, you will get pulled away. And he says, don't do it because the judge, so you don't get judged, because the judge is standing at the door. So the process of Christian perseverance is the purpose in our heart, have patient endurance. Purpose our hearts and then follow and be the proper examples. He says, look, look at the prophets. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spake, spoke in the name of the Lord, all the Old Testament saints, and in particularly Job, he says. You want to persevere. Look at the Old Testament prophets. Look how they lived. And look at Job. We would say instantly, wow, yeah, that's right. Job's the, Job's the guy that everybody talks about, the, the patience of Job. But if you read the book of Job, Job wasn't always that patient. He, he went through his life. He would struggle with situations. He would talk to God about it. He would argue about it. How come this is happening? Why is this going on? Why are you doing this? How come that's the way you did it? But at the end... God never told Job anything. He just said, Job, I'm in control of all this. But what he did at the end, when Job's friends, who were all wrong, and God says, hey, you guys need to repent, go talk to Job and let Job pray for you. Why? After all the messes and the struggle that Job had to trust God, why would God say, hey, Job's the example I want you to follow? It's because when Job is going through his struggles, he did all the right things. He wept, he pried, cried, he struggled, but he took them all to God. When you are in difficulty, pretending it's not real is not the answer. But pursuing God in it is the answer. It's the proper example. It's hard to persevere. It's difficult when the pressures of life come on us. But what makes Christian perseverance pleasant? Verse 11 says, You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Bible says that Jesus is the express image of God. And Luke 9, 40 Jesus has been dealing with his disciples for years, teaching the people, persevering. Nobody's really listening. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 40, these people came. This guy had an unclean spirit. He's struggling. They went to the disciples. The disciples couldn't get rid of it. And he comes to Jesus in verse 40. He says, And I begged your disciples to cast it out of my son, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless, and talking about his disciples, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. It's almost like he's just frustrated. I've been with these guys for all these years. I've been teaching them. They know who I am. I'm trusting them. They aren't following me. They're not doing it right. How long do I have to be with them? How long do I have to endure this? Bring your son here. I'll take care of it. And he could have stopped. But he didn't, because it says in verse 51 of Luke 9, 
just a few moments later, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's very compassionate. And that's very gracious. Jesus lived for 30 years, frustrated, trying to teach, and wondering, how, when are they going to get it? But he still was gracious and merciful and compassionate. And he looked at the cross, and he set his face for it, knowing exactly what was going to come. And he went right to it. Which makes perseverance pleasant. Because Jesus has paid it all for us. He's the one that's absolutely compassionate, which is why God says to the nation of Israel in Romans 10, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God's not against us. If you're followers of him, he's for you. The picture of God, even to the nation of Israel, when they weren't following him, was this God who has had his arms stretched out to them. Come to me. Come here. I'll help you out. Just come to me. I want to be gracious. I want to be compassionate. Come. And God's still doing that to us. He's got his hands out. Keep persevering. Just come like a father to his children. He's starting to walk. Come. You can do it. Come on, come. I'm going to catch you. I'm going to be here because Jesus gave his life for us. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this about people who don't take this life serious. Because this life does matter. Because a judge is coming. And a day will come when Jesus is no longer just our priest, but he is our king. And he will come and he will judge the earth. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those who decide now and those who see Christ now will be pleasant for eternity. But the decision is now. The judge is standing at the door. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this, Why is God landing? Why is God landing in this enemy-occupied world in a disguise in human form like Jesus? Why is God landing in this enemy-occupied world in disguise and starting a sort of secret society to undermine the devil? Why is he not landing in a force, invading it? Why is there this suffering? Isn't it that he is not strong enough? Well, Christians think he is going to land in force. And we do not know when, but we can guess why he is delaying. But God will invade. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks on the stage, the play is over. For this time it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we have really chosen. Whether we realized it before or not, now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. Jesus died for our sins so that we can turn to Jesus Christ now. 
and bow our knees now and enjoy the power of the gospel to intercede in our life and to give us great hope. But if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't turned your life over fully to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, now is the time. Today is the time to see that Jesus is who he says he is, see yourself for who you are, and to realize that he is, out of his love, poured out his great grace for you. But the way, as a Christian, then, we keep persevering is by preparing for the long haul, knowing that Jesus is coming back. So through repentance and faith, we keep persevering so that we can sing with gospel-gripped joy. Like it says in Psalm 108, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. We are called to persevere in confident hope. Is that what you're doing? Don't quit now. The finish line is in view. And God our Father, if you're a follower of Christ, is standing there waiting for you to come. But if you haven't turned to Jesus, he will judge you someday. And it will be too late then. So today he says, come. Come to me. And I will give you rest. And Christians, they say, come, persevere, and I will give you real rest.